Hello, gorgeous soul. I'm Diane Bell, and this is the Aim from the Heart podcast, your weekly dose of tips, techniques, strategies, and inspiration to help you live a life beyond your wildest dreams. If you're ready to use the art of intentional manifestation to create more freedom, more joy, more abundance, and more bliss in your life, you are in the right place. Grab a cup of tea, pull up a chair, and let's have some fun. I am so glad you're here today. Let's do this. Hi there. I am so excited to welcome today Isha Vela to the Aim from the Heart podcast. And Isha's work, I discovered, actually kind of in one of these funny little ways that someone I knew was advertising a bundle of money courses for a very small amount of money. And it was a massive bundle of all these different money and finance and abundance courses. And I purchased it. It was like $55. And I wanted to support my friend who was in a part of it. And to be honest, I didn't open it. <laughs> it's one of those things like you person thinking, how amazing, how lovely, and then you don't even open it. Until a couple of months later, and the first thing that I opened, there were so many things, but the thing that drew my attention was a course called Financial Literacy, and it was by Isha. And I started watching it, and I was immediately like, who is this woman? She's amazing. And started then digging into her work. So Isha, and I'm going to read from your Instagram account because I love this. It says, Body Wise Biz Mentor. Yeah. And it says, Trauma Certified Somatic Biz Coach and wealth activist for sensitive witches who want to F shit up and set money. <laughs> and I just go, that kind of somehow sums you up. That, and then it says devotional anarchy. And this is, that's when I just know that you're my kind of person. Cause I'm like, I love, like, it starts out so serious. It's like the trauma, trauma certified. So we're like in this serious world. And then it's like, <laughs> boom. And there's an element to you, I find in your work. And I'm so excited to chat to you about all this, which is like, there's this element, which is, it feels so rooted in sort of uh, just in practical, in the real world, like and in seriousness and in study and in depth and with integrity and it's robust. Yeah. And then there's another element to you, which feels to me, which appeals to my anarchic soul immensely, which feels so fun and free and like anarchic in the best possible way. So I just want to say, um, first of all, thank you so much for being here today and welcome. Yeah, this is such an honor to be here with you, Diane. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So I would love to know just a little bit, and I always ask people this, it's like, how did we get here? Just the brief highlight version, not like, because obviously we could spend 20 hours. <laughs> right, right. Of how I got but, into into yeah, wealth activism and financial absolutely, literacy. Absolutely. Yeah. I I feel like obviously there's there's childhood stuff, but I'll start at the place where when I got married, there was a part of me that just wanted to be taken care of. I was, I was sort of like this person, very independent. People would call me aloof even, but that in my relationship, I would sort of like want to sort of collapse into like, I want to be taken care of. And I wanted to be taken care of financially, even though I had always made my own money. money. I, I had a doctorate at that point. I was in private practice. I was working for an agency and then I shifted into private practice. So, and my money is what paid most of our bills because my ex-husband's income fluctuated. There were some job losses and things like that. So my income was consistent, but even then I wanted, I was giving up my power and I didn't really realize that's what was happening. And, and we were just going through like boom and bust cycles. And there was like, there was always enough money, but it was like, we couldn't, there was nothing left over for savings. 
retirement wasn't even on the map, right? Like who's even thinking about that when you're living month to month? And I wasn't really seeing like that the money I was making was like producing anything. It wasn't like we were just living, like just going month to month. And so I was like, something's going on here. Like what's wrong? I couldn't figure it out. And then I started in, I had like other health issues going on that eventually got me into my four-year certification in somatics. And the somatic program I was part of really looked at developmental wounding, really looked at the young, the young parts of us that show up in relationship. And I realized, oh my goodness, I am giving up my power. I am outsourcing, right? Like I am quite good with money, at least managing it day to day. But I'm just like looking at money, like it's like taking out the trash, like you manage it, you pay the bills, that's dirty work. And I was like, oh my God, I'm neglecting money and I'm neglecting myself. I'm not showing up for myself. This needs to change, right? At some point, I also realized we would have fights about money. And then at one point, when I looked deeper into the issue, I realized that he had mismanaged a lot of money. And that's when I was like, I got to take control of this. Like that was just, I was so done. My savings had dwindled in order for him to be able to open his business. I used all of my savings. It, it, it was really, really bad. And so we eventually got a divorce and I began to just kind of like make my own money and it was like happening and I was like doing really well. And then as part of the divorce process, there was some, I don't want to say financial abuse because that seems extreme, but there was like, I was paying for all of the camps and I was like, there was just, he wouldn't pay for anything. And what ended up happening is that my credit ended up on the floor just things were not in a good place. I wasn't making as much money in my business as I'd made the year prior. And I reached out to a friend of mine who I knew was in finance. And she said, I, and, I, and I had been doing my own inner work during that time, like feeling abundant, really detaching my worth from the amount in my bank account. And by the time I reached out to this financial advisor, I was like, I am so ready to actually look at the numbers like that was like the final frontier for me, the financial literacy piece, which had always felt so intimidating. And I went to see her and I was like, she presented me with a plan. And I just like felt so juicy in that moment, like so excited. And I had this feeling of I'm supporting myself. This is an act of self-love of like investing in my future and putting money away and like planning. It just felt incredible. And I decided right there, like, this is it for me. Like, I really love this money thing. And a little while later, I got licensed and I've been seeing clients and teaching them about financial literacy because I feel like there's a lot of us that have trauma around money, not just the developmental pieces around it, but also the actual numbers. Like I talk to more and more people who have terror just like looking at their numbers because of all the feelings it brings up. I really feel like part of my mission is, like you said, like witches who want to topple structures and who want to change the energetics of the world by stewarding money in a way it's never been stewarded before. Yeah. So good. So, so that, that was kind of the long version. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And you, I mean, there's so many, I have so many questions out of that because first of all, so your background was as a psychologist, is that correct? That's right. I was a trauma psychologist. I was working in private practice. Before that, I was working in community mental health, working mostly with Hispanics and Latino populations. 
and I started my own private practice and I was working with activists and social justice folks. I was doing a lot of relationship counseling as well. And I was like noticing, right? Like these, the same pieces would come up like around the, the young wounding and, and that, and then I said, I had my own physical breakdown. It got me into the somatic program. And then I started to integrate that work into the work that I was already doing. And can you tell me about the somatic program that you did then? Yes. What is that? And for our listeners who might not be familiar with that term, that would be. Yeah, it was a four-year certificate. It's called Core Energetics, and it integrates both bioenergetic work, which is just moving energy through the body, with sort of spiritual pieces similar to it's not the law of attraction but it's what marianne williamson Mm -hmm. course in miracles course in miracles right so it's similar to sort of integrates something similar to the course in miracles called the pathwork lectures and the body work right so really moving spirit through the body and i didn't grow up spiritual in fact i grew up in a home where nobody cracked open a bible we never went to church but it was through that process where i really began to understand my body as a a vessel for spirit and i began to also like begin downloading and really using my my spiritual and intuitive gifts so there was a lot that happened those four years i'm using that professionally as well like with clients like with the yes psychology yeah absolutely like when I when I meet with clients I can I notice that I could feel where the energy was blocked in their bodies like for better or for worse I can feel people in my body and so I can feel where they're blocked and so I can like move energy in those areas or help them rather learn to move energy through their body right because I don't like to sort of do things to people I feel like people can do it themselves with their own bodies but yeah so I I do I sort of use sort of intuitive gifts to sort of figure out what the issue is and and where where the energy got stuck right like at what age what might have been the circumstances what might have been the decisions that were made and especially when it comes to shadow work really exploring where people are holding on to an identity that's not serving them or a pattern that's not serving them Mm -hmm. right and so now you're taking all of this and really applying it in particular to the field of money yes 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 I still do relationship work because I really really love that Mm -hmm. so I do couples work but uh, my the central focus of my work is is you know wealth activism is really prosperity prosperity embodiment yeah Yeah. and you obviously where are you from originally like are you yeah I'm originally from Puerto Rico so I grew up on the island and I I came to United States to the mainland when I was 18 years old to go to college at the University of Connecticut so Connecticut is where I started out and I traveled all over the world I lived in Europe for a couple of years and ended up back here because this is sort of like the the closest thing that I can call home other than Puerto Rico yeah. yeah. And how do you think growing up in Puerto Rico has sort of like informed what you do? Yeah, so much. I feel like growing up in a in a in a colonial political system is a very profound experience that is is hard to explain to people because it's something that you just feel. It's sort of like it it's almost something like sticky that hangs out on your skin. 
And the feeling that you have when you're there, obviously there's a lot of pride in being Puerto Rican. We love our island. And yet the political structures that are in place, because they're so tied in with money corruption and, and things of that nature, we feel like, like the government is really not there to help us. Mm-hmm. And then with, with the United States as sort of this big parental shadow in the background that we're not, we're not, even though we're U.S. citizens, we're not, you know, part of the, we're not a state. So there's almost a, a feeling of being sort of the the stepchild or the illegitimate child. Yep. And that's really sort of, we internalize that. And we, through the way that capitalism from the United States works in relationship to Puerto Rico, we often get like secondhand goods that maybe don't make it on the market in Puerto Rico. So we we really do get like the hand-me-downs, the leftovers. And so there is this, that pervasive feeling. And in relationship to money, people very much live for today. They're not planners. And I say that very generally, like that's not the orientation we grow up with. And there's something beautiful about like living in the moment, but it needs to be balanced with also like future thinking and, and planning and, and so like nobody that I knew was, you know, was, was doing any of that, was even talking about money in, in a way that felt healthy. My father hoarded it and didn't want to spend it. And my mother was a little bit more balanced. She's like, she was a really good saver. And she's like, I want to, I want to spend it on this pleasurable trip to whatever, right? Going somewhere or, or buying a very special couch and really holding out for the things that she really wanted. But there were a lot of clashes at the dinner table around money. And so I just, I just developed a distaste from money, right? There was also a lot of social class stuff that pervades sort of the island. And a lot of Latin American countries, like class is more powerful than race, right? Mm -hmm. So discrimination between classes of people is much more profound than, than racial lines, let's say, right? So it was just like, look, like who wants to deal with money? I, I just wanted to separate myself from that and not identify. So that was part of my money identity is of being separate. Yeah, I totally yeah. relate to that. And I think, yeah. you know, I think for so many women and also I suspect many people of color, people who have traditionally been excluded yes. from the table of money and money decisions. Yes. This will resonate because... And I think this is the work for so many of us, right? Is like, do we deserve to be at that table? Are we are we willing yes. to do the work to 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 be at the table? Because for many yes. of us, because it wasn't a table that we were invited to for centuries. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be there then, right? I'm just gonna have my own thing. <laughs> I don't even care about it, right? <laughs> like financial planning or that whole sort of thing, right? Which is the unsexy part. Because I feel like now in in a lot of the coaching world and a lot of the sort of spiritual world, there's a lot of talk about abundance and creating abundance. It is all nice and flowy and good and sort of like the fun side. Yeah. And it is important, but it's super important. But then there's this other side, which is still that like making good decisions and dealing with the structures and dealing with your yeah. taxes and your planning and your savings and your investments and whatever might come up for you yeah that I feel still is often like not really brought to the table in the yeah 
for instance? Yeah, people tend not, most of the money coaches that are out there are not financial professionals. And even though they may be very good at managing their own finances, like there are details about financial literacy that maybe don't get taught and that, that people need to know in order to make good financial decisions for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. To be able to, when they work with a money coach, that when they stop working with the money coach, they can still be applying those practical steps to building generational wealth, for example. Right. So I feel like that is for me the missing piece is like, and I realized it when I started doing my own investing, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so empowering. Like, I want everybody else to feel this way, to really feel like, their take risks to to make their money grow because what I felt when I started investing and I started like just planning for retirement, I began to sleep better because I wasn't worried about like, oh my God, like what's going to happen? I was like, it's taken care of. Like I'm already doing the thing and I'm, it's taken care of because I took care of it. <laughs> that's, that's super empowering for me. Nobody else is coming along to like. Nobody's here to yeah. rescue me, <laughs> right? Like I get it. I, yeah. I showed up for myself and every time I put money into that account, I'm showing up for myself. I'm loving on myself. What would you say for somebody who is in that position where like the numbers are still scaring them. When you talked about that, you touched that that thing, that feeling of like, and I've actually been there. I've been that person you just yes. where it'd be like, it makes me feel sick to open my bank statement. So I'm just going to shove it <laughs> to the side <laughs> and pretend it didn't arrive. Of course, this was a day when you still got a paper bank statement going back a few years. But if there's if someone's listening to this and is still in that place of like really feeling the scarcity around money and the anxiety around their financial situation what would you what would your recommendation be yeah for me my my first recommendation would be to just start in the smallest steps like just be gentle with yourself be kind to yourself and your nervous system by just like just make the smallest step take the smallest step and commit to doing one step a day just a tiny thing just to share a story about that, like when I was working on my dissertation, my dissertation felt like a, a mountain that I just never wanted to touch or I just wanted to like push it away. And I did push it away for like six or seven months until I was like, I need to just break the seal. I need to just open the document. Let's just start there. And I opened the document. It was open for about five seconds. And I was like, okay, that's good enough for today. And I closed it again. And then I started to work on it little by little. I said, I'm just going to work on it for 10 minutes. That's it. Just 10 minutes. Just dedicate 10 minutes. And sometimes it would be sitting there for 10 minutes, just looking at it and reading. And sometimes I would actually be writing. So really going progressively, increasing your capacity to hold the discomfort of looking at the account, like breathing through it, letting yourself feel the anxiety and just kind of like start to feel safe with numbers again. Mm. Just let yourself, let your system know it's okay. And that what you're actually doing is really courageous and that you are, you're getting yourself to like, you're progressively being, you're in a practice of progressively getting more comfortable to make these decisions, to move money around, to play with money and to get creative with money. That is the outcome, the feeling of confidence and ease, right, of not feeling afraid of the numbers. So it's Mm -hmm. worth it. Just remind yourself that it's worth it. Maybe it starts by, again, opening the bank account or bank statements and just looking at it. Maybe looking a little bit next time at 
okay, this is the money that's going out and these are the that's the money that's coming in. And then maybe the next time you say, well, I'm going to make a list of my expenses, all my expenses. Okay, I'm not even going to add them up today. <laughs> I'm going to add them up next week. And this is the, all the money that's coming in. And so let's see where they match up. So just making little moves. I love this because I think for a lot of people, it is overwhelming of where to get started and how to get started. And it, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's just something that's like, oh my gosh, I'll just I'll stay away from it. And something that I haven't really spoken about publicly yet that I feel is really important for people to know is that people who are very sensitive, like let's, let's say intuitive people, mystics, right? Like magical folks. I've noticed that there's a lot of freezing around numbers and I'm, and I've been feeling lately that, that maybe in some place in our bodies, we know that money's money holds a lot of trauma because of the way it's been misused and abused. And so at some, in some, at some level, we know that. And so we're like, we get scared just going there because it's just, we know that we're going to have to deal with that part too. Can you, can you go into that a little bit more? What do you mean by money holds a lot of trauma? Yeah. I mean, when you think about the, just when you think about collect, let's just start with collective trauma, right? Or the debt system. The debt system is an exploitative system, right? It there's in our, at least in the U S right? Like you get a credit card in the mail and it's like, Ooh, zero APR for the first year. You don't pay any interest. And you're like, Oh, that's awesome. And then you maybe did a little bit of overindulging. And then all of a sudden you're hit with 27, 28, 29% APR. And like, now it's hard to get out, right? It's I'm a little bit like a drug dealer saying like, hey, have a taste, it's free, right? And then you're hooked and then you're stuck, right? And then you're an addict. It's a little bit, it has that energy to it for me, the debt system. And then when you think about collective trauma, when you think about the ways that women, people of color, and in particularly in particular our country, formerly enslaved people were marginalized from the economic system, where our whole economic system was built on their backs. And then when they were freed, we didn't let them participate. And we made efforts, often violent efforts, to keep them from building wealth, the generational wealth, owning land, right? So that's loaded. <laughs> that is totally loaded. And again, even just with women in the 70s, right? We're able to own credit cards on their own without having to, having their husband's co-sign. It's like, we don't, I hope that we can like appreciate the fact that like wealth work is really like, it is, it is not just about money, right? It is not just about the coin or the bill or the dollar. It is just so much more, right? It's a whole embodiment of like, our true selves of what we are capable of. Yeah, it just feels like empowerment work sort of in this bigger, much, much bigger way of potential, of the potential that we truly have and of transforming the structures that have been exploitative. I think this is such an important conversation because I feel like a lot of people still carry this fear of money, that money is going to, um, that money is bad. Money is essentially like a force for bad in the world. Yeah. And that it's wrong to want too much or to want more of it. 
some sort of fear, even if there's a little bit of that, like on one hand, you want it because you want the things it could buy you. But on the other hand, you don't want it because you see it as some sort of like force of evil in the world. Right. Uh, yes. And and there's like a sort of a, a trap there, because obviously, as long as you feel that, that it's evil and that you don't want it, you're not going to create it. You're going to not you're not want to you're not going to be in relationship to it. Yeah. Right? You're not going to want to be like co-creating with it. You're not going to co-create with evil. <laughs> No, no, exactly. And yet yeah. I see is that I work with a lot of artists, obviously, and I see that like, unless they can make friends with it on some level, their level of impact with their work is always going to be very limited. Yes, yes. Right. And there's a lot of artists trapped in that sort of area, but also I would say women in general and also people of color and so forth, right? Where unless we're able to do the healing work around the money so that we can actually hold larger amounts and feel yes. safe to hold larger amounts. We're never going to be able to create the change in the world that we would really love to see. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And with people that you work with, I mean, is this something that, that you see that is part of it or because I, I suspect people who are attracted to work with you and I'd love to hear about sort of like what your work is like now who you're working with and in what ways people can work with you yeah I right now I have a like a three-month one-on-one container of six sessions right and each each session sort of works in a, a sort of a particular level of either individual or personal money identity or collective money identity and there are you know somatic practices rituals um and, and also practical steps like opening your, your bank account, looking at the statement. So each one of them has this series of, of things, sort of explorations that we go into and practices that you then you do on your own in between sessions. And what I've noticed for people is that like, because I, I work with a lot of people who either come from the activist community who have this distaste and disgust that I used to have for money, this repellent mixed with a like a desire to have more a frustration and an anger and so there's and there's and the shame around wanting more the shame of wanting this thing that you find so distasteful and evil like how could I want this thing but I'm so frustrated there's all these different emotions coming in at the same time right that are sort of like battling it out you know internally and you know when we when when we judge people, when we judge people based on how they spend their money, like we're also judging ourselves for the wanting, the way that we want, what we want to do with money. So that's the worthiness, the worthiness and the belonging, just like you said earlier, that is the, that is the core of it. That is the core of it. And of course, that's not done in six sessions, right? That is a, a lifetime of unwinding, just like if you came from a family where there was a lot of emotion, emotional abuse or manipulation, for you to be able to have a healthy relationship, it's going to take you a while. You need to have some, right? It's going to take you a growth process. It may take you a lifetime, but to really be patient with ourselves about like, we, we, want, we want the quick fix, right? We want the quick fix. And just as with any relationship and sort of like, yeah, healthy relationships take time, 
they take devotion, they take effort, they take practice, right? And so I urge people when they when they work with me, or if they don't work with me too, but to be in a place of like, really think of it as a relationship, it is a relationship. And so you want to be showing up in that relationship with like, care, and supporting money as your partner, as your co-creative partner, and like, acts of love, acts of service, you want to promote the liberation of money, right? And with regard to like, people confuse money with the money system. Right. And I, and I think, okay, well, that's for me, that's similar to like blaming the victim of an abusive relationship. Money inside the money system is an abusive relationship and money is pissed about that too. <laughs> they didn't want that. So the energy of money for me is like the energy of love. And just in the same way that the energy of love has been and is manipulated in relationships, so is the energy of money. It's been manipulated inside of a system. Oh my God, this is so good. I'm just sitting here going, yes, I've never thought that money is the energy of love. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Turning on its head, like everything that I believe when I was, when I was young, right? I love yeah. separating the system from the actual, from the money itself. Yeah. Oh and, and Diane, like just thinking about my own process, like I went from being like this with money, like to neutral, like you're there. It's cool. We're cool. And now I'm like, I love money. And I just like, and that's been more like recent within the last year, I would say, yeah, year, year and a half. I'm like, I love money now. It's a, it feels so fun and, and funny to say it because I never identified as someone who like wanted money and felt like, oh, I love it. Like, it's so good. And I'm, I find myself like thinking that and feeling that all the time now. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what's oh going God. on? <laughs> I love it. And I'm just like sitting here thinking what a world we would live in if more people felt that way genuinely. Yeah. When we think about how many people for whom money is like the biggest source of stress, the biggest source of anxiety, the biggest source of unhappiness on so many different levels and how it could be changed. Yeah. Do you think it's possible to love it when you're experiencing not enough of it? I'm trying to think about my own experience. Yes, I have, I can still experience love for money, even, even feeling like there's little, because when I, when I think about the, the word enough, I've always had enough. And I say that having to really be in tight situations where I had to eat lentils only <laughs> or being in situations where our heat got cut off. And I had like, I had just given birth to my, to my first child and it was November, the weekend of Thanksgiving and no person was going to come out and refill our tank. So I've been in situations where it's definitely felt like not enough, but even in those moments, I felt like there was enough because there was enough of a lot of things. There was enough love. There was enough care. There was enough tenderness. I had enough support, right? Money was just one piece of it. And like, and then, then it showed up just like pretty soon thereafter, it was right there around the corner. So I don't think of those moments as being like, I don't have enough. And some people really do experience 
economic scarcity. Like they Absolutely. really don't make enough money to cover yes. their expenses. Food yeah. is expensive. Like inflation is a real thing, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want to gaslight people's experiences because some people really don't experience enough. Exactly. Still, I think that we can still hold money as an energy in high regard mm -hmm. and still acknowledge sort of what's happening in the economic climate that's like not great it's not good it's not healthy for its citizens and still feel care and love for the energy of money yeah i love yeah. that and i think to me it feels like there are people in this world who have so much and who still don't love money right and who still don't yeah. feel ease about money who still feel scarcity yes encounter people as i'm sure you have yes who have massive bank accounts and who are still like all bunched up yeah tight and then i think it's possible i do think it's possible to feel abundant even with little money in your bank account yeah yeah and that's been my experience i think that in in 2021 i started exploring polyamory right as, and this is something that i had when i did relationship counseling as a therapist as a psychologist I often counseled people who were in non-monogamous relationships. And so I wasn't in a non-monogamous relationship, but I was counseling people. And, and from what I, from the feedback I got, I, I felt I was doing it quite well. And then I started to explore it after my divorce earnestly in, in 2021. And I realized that like, I felt so full. I used to be that person that felt scarce at sometimes and resentful of other people who had money and who had the things that I wanted, right? Like I used to feel that jealous, jealousy very intensely. And then when I had, when I was exploring polyamory and I felt so full relationally, mm. I felt so like satisfied in my relationships. I just stopped feeling scarcity. And I realized in that moment that the scarcity that I was feeling around money had nothing to do with money. Oh, Oh my God. It wasn't about money. It was really about other places where I felt unfulfilled. Oh, that was a big, big aha moment for me. Yes. Yeah. Because I think this is it. It's so fascinating that you brought that up because I have a sense that like, we're obviously whole people that it's not like one thing is over here. And right. One thing right. Is over there. It's like all connected. Is all inter connected in these very profound ways i'm just like yeah that's absolutely that's incredible yeah yeah mm. i feel like the biggest one of the other lessons i learned in polyamory that ties into money was that you know in 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 having multiple relationships and maybe investing in a relationship over here and maybe not getting exactly what i needed from my partner it felt suddenly okay because I was getting it over here, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's just, it's not that the person wasn't ever available for me, but they weren't available maybe in that moment where I was giving a lot. And it would, that love that I was investing over here would come back around over here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's the energy of love. Let's see if that works with money. And I was sort of like, okay, so I'm going to put money over here. I'm going to, I'm going to donate $50 a month to this school that I love, right? And then like, I would like watch it come back around in this different way. And I was like, oh, the same rules apply. Let's try that again. And I would do little experiments around 
giving money away and doing it in a way that felt like not from a place of like, oh, I don't have a lot, but I'm going to give you these $20, but really from a sense of like, I have more than enough here, have it, take it. And really like putting it in a place that felt good and then watching it, like I would get like a checks from somewhere else. I'm just like, wow, this works. Yeah. This is like the magic. This is energy. And, and I realized that money wants to move. Money wants to be free. Money mm -hmm. wants to be like, it wants to circulate. It doesn't want to be hoarded, stuck in a bank account. Like it wants to feel free. And so that mm. part of my stewardship is when I get it, it's not that I spend it, but that I really look at like playing with it, moving it, really using it in ways that support collective healing, um, support wealth redistribution or fund projects that I believe in. Like part of me wanting fuck you money is to invest it in, in projects that are going to be like revolutionary, that are going to technology or anything that that's really going to like make an impact. I want to make an impact in that way. Mm, I love that because I feel like this is why it seems so important to me that more good people do the work, yes, build their money stuff and allow more money into their lives so they can do more good things. Because yes. obviously like, the more that you have, the more that you have to give. And it is that is the new paradigm of money right there. A shift of like, instead of me trying to hoard it here to keep it away from, because like, ah, not for me. Yeah you know, just getting into this whole flow where it's like, I don't need to hoard it. There will always be enough. There's always more than enough. I can exactly. let it flow through. Exactly. And I think that there's this, when a lot of people fear making more money and how other people will feel about them making more money and how they might not be, let's say, relatable, mm -hmm. right? They're not they're not going to be able to connect with their friends in the same way because they're not sharing the same lived experiences as their friends, right? Like, let's be real. It's in the shared experiences where you really like have those connections and bonds. And when you don't have those, it's like, oh, there's, I guess we don't, we don't, we don't experience the same things. We, don't, we can't talk about the same things. So there's this fear like around, can I trust myself to, to steward the money in a way that feels responsible? And there's also the fear of losing connection to the mm -hmm. communities that we have now. And that's sort of money identity work of like, I remember when I was getting educated and I was getting my PhD, I was surpassing my parents in terms of their education. And I felt myself separating from them. And that was scary. It's like, I felt like I was losing them in a, in a way that I, in a way I was, because I was like going into a whole different experience. They were never going to be able to relate to. Yeah, it doesn't mean I didn't, it doesn't mean I lost their love, of course, but yeah, it did create like a little bit of a, of a split in experience. Absolutely. So those fears are real. Yeah. And they will hold you back. Cause I always have that thing. If you think it's not safe for you to achieve something, you're not going to, you're going to find a way to sabotage it by having more money. It's going to alienate people or it's going to let you lose people you love. Or Yeah. We don't want to lose connection. We don't want to lose yeah. connection. Yeah. I know, but it's this thing, isn't it, about like reprogramming ourselves to see like together we rise. Yes, exactly. So, like, that's one of my favorite phrases. I use it all the time. I'm like, together we rise. It's like, if you can rise then you can bring other people up with you. Exactly. And maybe there are some people that will get left behind in some way, but you like the people who are ready for it are going to rise with you. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's beautiful. Can I ask you, what do you think is your 
purpose? Like, do you feel purpose driven? And, and has that, like, does that correlate in any way to like you creating more opportunities? Like when you feel more in alignment with your purpose? So yeah, like, I feel like the my purpose, purpose the first part. And then, and then sort of like, do you think being in your purpose matters in a sense for actually attracting wealth for for growing your impact and so forth i i feel like i don't i wouldn't say that i know exactly what my purpose is in a very succinct way i know that helping people have a strong connection to their knowing to themselves as they are in relationship with things people that for me is intimacy work and that is the core right i'm an animist you can have a relationship to god you can have a relationship to your phone you can have a relationship to money to land for me that is like embodiment self connection um feeling emotionally available right so i feel like that is sort of like the the very again the core of my work it's not to make people rich necessarily right mm-hmm. But for them to feel like they can trust themselves, they're, they, they're safe in their own bodies, they trust their emotions, their intuition, they, they're able to be guided, right? Spirit, right? And having a purpose, I think, is enormously important. Purpose is what gets you up in the morning. Purpose is what is exciting. And purpose changes. Sometimes it shifts. Sometimes it takes you by surprise. If you told me 10 years ago that I would be helping people make more money in their businesses, I would have laughed. I'm like, oh my God, who am I to do that? And it shifts, it grows. It, the next step always reveals itself, right? Spirit always lets you know like, oh, we're going here now. And you're like, are, are you sure? Are we doing that? Okay. And then you shift and then you move, right? You're you're sort of like uncovering or un- letting the path unfold before you. But my purpose is like, I want to be in it. I want to be on the path. And I'm just kind of like waiting for instructions from spirit. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just available for the co-creation. I'm just like, I'm here. Send me your messages. I will do your bidding kind of thing. I'm, I love that. Yeah. I love it. You mentioned that you said like that you never thought you'd be helping people make more money in your business, in their business. So I'm like, Wait, so let's just get, let's get some headlines on this. Let's like, how do you help people make more money in their business? Like, is that just through financial advice and like planning? Or is that, do you actually coach people in business? Yes, that's inner work. That's mm-hmm. inner, inner confidence. That's like messaging, really put like the energetics of business is really putting your energy behind like saying the 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 truth, like in your, if you post online, really telling people how you feel, what are your your truest opinions? How do you feel about these issues? How do you feel about the work that you do? What is it that people need to hear today? Oftentimes we hold back our power, right? We sort of shrink back. We're like, oh my God, so-and-so from high school is going to be looking at that post and thinking like, who does she think she is? And I'm just, I'm not going to subject myself to that judgment. And Right. And so there's so many ways that we keep ourselves small. So, you know, I, I like to empower people to sort of bring out their bold self in their message, um, to be transparent leaders, to like get behind their offers and really like sell the shit out of them and do it in a way where the human is always centered in the work yourself, like you as the, the business owner, you are 
you are centering your own needs, your preferences, your in your business, right? Doing business in a way that feels good to you, feels an integrity to you and your physical, spiritual, mental, emotional body. But then also selling from a place where like, yeah, okay, so you say you can't afford my program. So like, is it okay that we get a little bit deeper into that? Is it okay that we explore that? Or I know I'm noticing you have some hesitation about jumping into the container. Do you feel like you understand the value that you are able to get out of it? Like to really have like deeper conversations with people. We know whether you do sales in the DMs or you do sales in person to really like get into the minds and bodies of people and do it in a heart-centered way. I feel like that's that's really what's more needed right now. After businesses blew up in 2020, 2021, like that stuff happened and people are not, they're very, they're much more choosy about the way that they buy. And I think that we really need to shift our business practices in a way that reflects more of the world that we want to live in, right? Because I think the vehicle is a business for like creating a, a whole new society, right? So that's basically like part of what I do. I, I want I want entrepreneurs, like spiritual entrepreneurs to thrive. I really want them to thrive. Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No more broke witches. No more broke witches. No, no. We want the witches to have all the money <laughs> and all the power. <laughs> because exactly. that would be a good thing. That would be yeah. a better world. Yeah. So if you had, because I'm going to wrap this up shortly, but... If you had like one thing that you could teach like everybody, like like everybody's gonna get this thing, what would it be? Wow, that's it. No, just one, just one, not 10. <laughs> Making me choose. I know. They would just make, it's like having a wish almost, except it's just like- you Yeah. I feel like, the thing that I love that I feel is most profound for people that I like when people work with me, they're like, oh shit, I get it now is body listening is really like tuning into the body. Like all the answers are there. And when people sit and listen, the answers are there. It's like, they don't have to like look for it over here and with this person or even with me, it's all here. Like cellular knowledge, ancestral wisdom, right? It's all here. That's what I would love. Like that. there's one thing, that's what I want to teach people. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. And I'm just imagining a world where people actually got that. Like what yeah. that would look like. If people had so much faith and trust in their own wisdom and in their own intuition and their body and what it can sh share with them. Yeah. And they actually allowed themselves to be guided by it. Right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to overwork yourself because your body would be screaming at you way too loud to stop. Right. You wouldn't harm yourself by overeating because you would be out of integrity with your digestive system, for example. Right. It's just, for me, that is revolutionary. That is revolutionary. I taught, I think I taught yoga for many years and yeah. I think when I was teaching yoga, like I was like, your body is constantly giving you feedback it's yes. constantly whispering to you and yes 
in our society we've been taught just to ignore it <laughs> ignore it ignore it override take an aspirin for your ibuprofen if it's bothering you in some way and ignore yeah. it and then like freak out when you have some chronic illness or ailment like where did that come exactly, from exactly exactly like, it has been telling you that it's on the way for the last three years yes and you didn't listen and you didn't listen because yeah. you didn't know how i mean i think that's and and we know, and then we just keep ignoring it. We keep sweeping it because there are other things that are like grabbing our attention more. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, I think when we get into that, listening to our bodies, like we're so conditioned into avoiding what's not comfortable for us. Yes. Like a fear of discomfort, it feels to me that. Yeah. Like a fear that we can't handle being uncomfortable. So we'd rather just like pretend it's not there or distract ourselves from it or buffer it or whatever. Yes. It's like this. We're afraid of the sensation of discomfort. We're afraid yeah. of like, we're, I think a, a lot of times we're afraid of overwhelm. We avoid overwhelm because at some point in our lives, we experienced overwhelm and there wasn't anybody to hold us. There wasn't anybody to support us. And it just kind of like our system just kind of went into like shock. And so I think that there's a way that our bodies protect us from going into overwhelm by going into numbness or avoidance. But we don't need to do that now. Like now we're adults and we are able to handle the discomfort. But in our, our nervous systems are still going on high alert saying, oh, you're going to be overwhelmed. Shut it down. Shut it down. But that's not the reality that we live in now. So we have to teach our bodies to progressively, right? Little by little, just experience more discomfort and that it's okay and that we're not going to die. <laughs> World's not going to collapse. Like we can do this. Mm, so yeah. powerful. Yeah. So just to wrap this up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? If there's any sort of like programs that you've got going on in particular that would be of interest, I'm sure we'll probably yeah. in the next few weeks. You know? Okay, yeah. My website is vela.com, I-S-H-A-V-E-L-A.com. You can find me on Instagram at Isha underscore Vela or on Facebook. I have a Facebook group for healers who want to make more money in their business, right? And the program that I'm that I'm running right now. And it's sort of an evergreen program. It's not like time limited, anything like that, but it's the three month package of six individual one-on-one -on -one sessions with, um, and if you live in the United States, you also get a financial needs analysis. Like this is for us citizens where I look at the numbers with you and do a comprehensive financial strategy for you, for your business. And then I also do like one-on-one -on -one business coaching. I'm going to be opening up my my holistic business accelerator in the spring again. It's a six month container, sort of an intimate group. Yeah, so those are the things I'm promoting right now. I think that mm -hmm. I'm also gonna be partnering with a, a friend of mine who's a hypnotherapist and we're gonna be doing a group container around wealth, around wealth embodiment, prosperity mindset, heart set, passion set, all of the sets. We're gonna be doing that probably in February, so. If, if somebody's interested in that, they should yeah. definitely follow. I'm also on YouTube and they'll get notified of all the, all the things that are coming down the pipeline. Well, we will get all the links for those things and make sure that they are in the show notes. But I just want to thank you so much for being here. I love your energy. I love what you're about. I love like, I just love you. I think you're mm. amazing. And I'm so grateful to you for coming and chatting with me today. Yeah. Thank you, thank you Diane. So much. Thank you, Isha. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. If you enjoyed it, could you do me a favor? 
please leave it a little review wherever you're listening to it or screenshot it and share it on your social media and tag me so I can see it. I would be so appreciative. Thanks so much. I love you and I'll see you soon.